all. Hello, folks. This is Robert Berry, and welcome to Retro Crush, the podcast episode 79. Sorry it's been a while. Things have been a little busy around the Retro Crush headquarters, but i uh, got a very special episode for you to make up for the wait. We have audio of my interview with former Vice President Al Gore and a star of the new motion picture An Inconvenient Truth. We also have a, a fun uh, flashback bit of audio where Mr. Rogers testified to Congress in 1969 to argue for more uh, funding for public television. And it's a six-minute clip. And, man, if you don't tear up at the end of this uh, clip, you're not human. Uh, you, you won't believe what uh, he's able to pull off with his great speech there. Um, got some voicemails. And uh, we also have a Keith and I uh, went to go see the X-Men. X-Men United, and you'll hear our review of that as well. So, a uh, pretty jam-packed program. Hope you're doing well. Uh, a couple things on the front page of the, the website I wanted to acknowledge. Uh, you can actually uh, read our interview with Al Gore uh, as well, as well as seeing some photographs that, that I took. And um, also there's a little note about the San Diego Comic Convention. If any of you are going to be in San Diego the week of July 23rd, um, love to see you there. Uh, check, it, check it out there. Uh, we're going to have a table there with some other folks and um, be selling some shirts and just hanging out and you know having fun with all the, the old celebrities as well. So uh, look forward to uh, seeing any of you there that, that can attend that. So uh, let's go ahead and get started with uh, the Al Gore interview. It's about 20 minutes long, and it's pretty fascinating. This is an interview that took place on May 2nd, and it was at the St. Regis Hotel in San Francisco. And I'm talking with Al Gore, and the other guy that you hear is the film's director, uh, Davis Guggenheim. So here you go. Shall we begin? Wait a little bit there. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> Modern communications interfere with interferes with everything now. <laughs> well, I was at the Q and A last night, and the, the film really enjoyed it a lot. Great, and, uh, thank you. It, in the news a lot lately, obviously the the price of gas uh, going up is uh, on everyone's uh, mind. There's whole Meet the Press dedicated to last week, where you were actually quoted a few times. Uh, uh, somebody told me that I didn't yeah. see it, but uh, Dick Durbin um, apparently mentioned that uh, he had seen my slideshow the day before. Right, but um, do you think the the rising price of gas is perhaps the kick in the pants America needs to become more fuel efficient? If they're, they're going to be paying well, more no, for this? because no, because the uh, the oil industry, uh, uh, and principally OPEC, uh, has. Uh, always uh, adjusted the world price uh, to uh, kill off innovation just when it starts. So it, this is a cycle. I've been, at, I've been t trying to tell this story for 30 years now. Mm -hmm. And I have seen numerous cycles of price increases and price declines. And the, the 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 fact is that we can, we can only solve this by taking a long term strategic view and becoming independent not just of Middle East oil but of oil and coal uh, and that which we burn has to be burned in a way that is environmentally responsible where the carbon is captured um, and the the burn 
burden of it should not uh, fall on those who are least able to, uh, to, to, to bear it. Years ago, when I wrote uh, Earth in the Balance, 15 years ago, um, I proposed a, a shifting of uh, the, the tax system so that uh, there, there would be uh, higher prices, but in a way that rebated to the uh, individuals who can least afford to pay it, uh, an amount that is, was offset by, on the Social Security tax side of it. So, you know, I, I think this, uh, the, 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 these rising gasoline prices are just another face of the same dysfunctional system. We're, the, the Iraq war is part of it uh, also. There are other causes, of course, for the Iraq war. But we've had multiple desert wars in a region of the world uh, that has the largest oil supplies. We borrow money from the Chinese and buy the oil from an unstable uh, region and then burn it in ways that destroy the environment of the planet. We're doing something wrong. <laughs> and we need to change that whole, that whole system. And um, just uh, reacting to, the, to the, what the oil companies and principally the uh, oil producers, uh, oil producing nations are doing uh, to, to the price periodically is just a small piece of the puzzle. Davis, you've been able to take what's essentially a 90-minute slideshow and make it an entertaining film. What sort of challenges existed to, to make that happen? Well, I was invited by the producers, Lawrence Bender and Larry David, to go see Al's slideshow. And I was not an environmentalist. I sort of read about it a little bit. I was a little bit concerned. But then when I saw Al speak, I, it was profoundly changing for me. It, uh, the message is not political. When I first saw it, I was like, what's, what's, what's Al up to? <laughs> what's he doing now? What's his motive here? And then when I, when, you, when I started to watch it, his slideshow, and what I hope when people watch the film get, is that there's no motive other than telling this truth. Uh, and he's so uh, passionate about it. Uh, and it's so convincing. Uh, that I just wanted to give people that experience. So the challenge was how do I help other audiences feel the way I did? When you have that as a director, that's, that's, that's actually easy because you can just refer to your experience right. and say, how do, I, how, do I, how do I recreate that? How much, you know, the, I guess one of the, the interesting things about the, the film is that it doesn't appear to be any disputable evidence presented in here. Um, you know, certainly 10 or 15 years ago, you heard a lot of things on the radio that, you know, a lot of uh, environmental wackos, the global warming hoax, and in the film you compare that to a lot of the propaganda used by the tobacco industry when, when dangers are brought up there. Um, but there still seems to be a very lackadaisical approach to doing something about it. How much time, honestly, can pass before it would be too late to, to make any kind of serious impact? Well, the debate is over in the scientific community. Uh, there are five points to the global consensus. Number one, global warming is real. Number two, we are mainly responsible for it. 
Number three, the effects are catastrophic. Number four, we need to fix it quickly. And number five, it's not too late. Those five elements make up a very strong consensus, and on those points, the debate is over. But on the last point, how long before it might be too late? (laughs) The scientists who I most respect on this question are now saying, and this is new for them to say, that in their view we have less than 10 years in which to make a significant start in changing uh, the amount of carbon dioxide pollution being put into the Earth's atmosphere, or else it will be too late. Now, I think we'll act long before then, but that's not much time in the sweep of history, and we have two and a half years left in an administration that is moving the U.S. in the wrong direction. So if the scientists are right and we have only 10 years, we can't take two and a half of those 10 and say, well, we'll we'll make it worse for two and a half, and then we'll get started. (laughs) We just can't do it. So the real purpose of the movie is to get the truth about this in, in front of as many people as possible without regard to party or partisanship or ideology uh, and bring about a change in the way the country feels and thinks and acts. I see this as the ultimate action movie because it empowers the audience to act. Right. Well, I mean, it seems like these changes would require a president with a, a big environmental agenda. I mean, if we were to get eight years more after Bush uh, with with more of the same, is this something that the people can enact and do without uh, a president leading the way for this? Or? Well, we need an informed citizenry with a big environmental agenda because it's going to take all of us to solve this problem. And if we have that, then we will have leadership that responds to uninformed citizenry. The, the politicians in both political parties ought to be competing with one another to offer genuinely meaningful solutions. That's happening already in England now. Both parties are uh, trying to get out ahead of the other on, uh, uh, with imaginative, far-reaching, bold proposals. Mm-hmm. And that's as it should be, because that's what the reality we're facing would lead a rational set of people to, <laughs> to, to do. Uh, and we in the U.S. have been in a little bubble of unreality, uh, isolated from the rest of the world, uh, because the, 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 the right-wing talk radio and the propaganda uh, organs of uh, uh, the, this, this group that uh, has a a notion that the earth is flat and the moon landing was staged on a movie set uh, and I mean they don't argue that but, uh, right. but it's comparable to that they, they have managed uh, with heavy financing from a few irresponsible companies that don't want to see the government uh, take any action they've managed to plant enough doubt in the minds of the American people to, to paralyze the political process and it's not enough to say we're addicted to, to oil. Too many politicians are addicted to the money from the oil companies. Uh, and that, has, that addiction has to be broken. Um, 
really enjoy a lot of the animated segments uh, in this film. I think it, it really uh, it was it did a remarkable job of, of keeping sometimes things very lighthearted and such overwhelmingly depressing <laughs> subject matter at times. Um, was that that initial uh, animation segment done by Simpsons animators? Futurama, Futurama which uh, okay. is also a Matt Groening uh, product. Right. Futurama is to the Simpsons as the Jetsons were to the Flintstones. Gotcha. And my second oldest daughter, Kristen, worked for Matt Groening for three years and on, on the Futurama. And uh, she has heard my uh, presentation on global warming all her life. And uh, when they were doing that episode, she uh, said, hey, what about this? And she was part of the small creative team that did that segment. That's funny. And I met Matt Groening through my daughter and became good friends with him. And that led, by the way, to a cameo appearance uh, on Futurama. Uh, I appeared as a disembodied head. I saw it. Thank you very much. And uh, incidentally, uh, last summer I was walking down the sidewalk on uh, Townsend here. I have a business here. I'm here a couple days a week. And I was walking down with my business associates down to Paragon Restaurant. And this group of uh, young people in their, I'd say, late 20s were coming the opposite direction. And they get about 20 feet away. And they don't say, hey, there's the former vice president of the United States. Or anything like that. Instead, one of them throws both arms up in the air and goes, I have ridden the mighty moon worm! <laughs> and and my, my, my associate is going, uh, and I'm going right on, man. <laughs> but it was fun to get to know Matt and that group. And when I uh, asked him if I could have that piece, he gave it to us for the movie for free. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I had the advantage of getting all of Al for the movie, not just, <laughs> <laughs> not just the discipline. It felt so much easier getting all of you. Well, it being recognized for cartoon catchphrases, I can only wonder what uh, last week's South Park episode may... Uh, I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen it yet, but I want to see it. I want to yeah, see it. Yeah, uh, you're the, the star end of the episode, practically. So uh, well, that's, uh, I'm very flattered. <laughs> um, uh, apparently, I'm uh, trying to slay some mythical beast or something. The man, man bear pig. Yeah. The man bear <laughs> Those guys are crazy. <laughs> what, what do you think is the single quickest and most effective thing that, that America can do to reverse global warming? Conservation and efficiency is uh, by far the most readily available uh, response that will have the biggest impact. We waste about 90% of the energy we think we're using. And... Um, you can save money, have a better lifestyle, and clean up the environment all at the same time. It just requires thinking a little differently about how you go about things. Right. And these light bulbs, for example, are, I believe they're the environmentally responsible kind. The fluorescence, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, the home light bulbs that use one-tenth as much electricity... You change them one-tenth as often. Uh, you s they cost a little bit more. Even that's beginning to change. But they cost a little bit more. But you make it back within the first year. Uh, and yet, force of habit leads a lot of people to just walk right past them and not c uh, consider those kind. Uh, that's going to change. 
clock thermostats, um, being aware of the electricity consumption of the appliance the choices you make, uh, buying a hybrid instead of a regular car if you can, uh, using mass transit when you can, walking when you can. These are relatively simple things, but multiplied by enough people, they make a, a big difference. But then when you get past conservation and efficiency, um, there are even bigger changes that a lot of times do require a new law, a new uh, policy to make it easier for uh, all of us. I mean, you know, it's hard to get from here to Cupertino without driving. Uh, and uh, many people just assume we have to take 3,000 pounds of metal with us everywhere we go. And that's that, the day will come when we look back on that and think, gee, that was nuts. Right. Well, it seems like the, the message of an inconvenient truth will kind of outlive the immediate standard theatrical release model of you know, getting it out and people to see it. I mean... Are you planning on exploring uh, other distribution methods with this, like internet downloads, the paper download, or um, different things with the DVD? I mean, just it seems like the the shelf life of this film will be quite uh, long. You know, for really people wanting to use it for educational purposes and, and whatnot in the future. People are signing up in advance to see the movie. Mm -hmm. they're, they're getting groups together to go see the movie because they want to share the experience because it's so profound. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's going to happen with DVDs. People are going to have d screening parties, and they're going to they're give it to a teacher as a gift. So that the science teacher, uh, science teachers come up to me all the time, and they say, how do I get this so I can teach my class? I think it's just going to keep going, because uh, people who watch it feel like they have all these questions that are now answered. This anxiety that is now sort of, you know, uh, now that they understand the issue, they, they actually feel good because they can be part of the change. And yes, we are exploring uh, new and innovative online uh, distribution. Um, that will probably come uh, after the DVC. Yeah. Um, and, and we met with a mutual friend uh, last evening uh, about uh, uh, another distribution method. Uh, I am going to start a training program in Tennessee in September to uh, give away my uh, slides to uh, people who take the course and ground themselves in the science uh, so they present them uh, accurately right. and then give them the right to go out and make presentations in their own voice and mix and match and change it around and add music and all the rest uh, with intellectual property rights uh, protected, uh, hopefully. Um, and then uh, I'd like to get uh, a thousand or more people going out all over the country uh, to high schools and civic groups and um, wherever a group of people listen to it and watch it uh, and then update it regularly over the Internet right. and post uh, a version so that people can gain access to it and then make a kind of a Wikipedia, uh, uh, take a Wikipedia approach to uh, the right. climate crisis. And in your book? Oh, um, the, uh, there's a book, An Inconvenient Truth, that will come out the same day as the movie. It's published by Rodale, R-O-D-A-L-E, and it, it will, uh, it's a book version of the 
slideshow with original uh, text and uh, that's another way of, uh, of trying to get the message out also. Finally, uh, your film ends with a lot of uh, positive, hopeful tips at the end, so you don't mm. walk out of there feeling like you want to hang yourself. <laughs> uh, but uh, what It really hurts word of mouth if they do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't kill yourself after seeing this. <laughs> but uh, what gives you the, the most hope uh, right now, things that you see that, that things will actually turn around? Uh, just in the six months since we finished shooting, I've seen 85 conservative evangelical ministers announce they were breaking with the Bush-Cheney administration to take on this uh, climate crisis. I've seen 230 American cities independently ratify mm -hmm. Kyoto and start reducing the emissions to meet the, 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 the standards. Um, I, I've seen grassroots uh, organizations uh, take a very uh, forward-leaning, aggressive approach. And all of these uh, straws in the wind are beginning to, uh, uh, to, 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 to mount up and give me a real uh, uh, sense that we're on the verge of significant change here. Uh, political leaders in both parties who in the past were negative mm -hmm. uh, and skeptical are now changing what they say and that's often a prelude to them changing what they do. And not always. Right. <laughs> not always. Right. But if, if the pressure is, is, uh, continued, uh, uh, continues to come from the grassroots, then they will change. And I'm, so I am optimistic. Right. Well, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Well, that was a lot of fun. And um, I think this officially marks the point where I could stop bragging about interviewing Al Gore. I promise uh, I'll no longer talk about it again. But uh, quite a handsome man uh, in person, uh, very funny, and uh, he smells like uh, pine, which is kind of nice. So uh, coming up, since we're on a, a political uh, tip here, uh, I've got audio from this video I, I found on the internet. I thought I'd play it for you here. This is uh, from 1969, Fred Rogers, who we know as Mr. Rogers, the late, great Mr. Rogers, um, testified on behalf of public television uh, to Congress about um, increasing the funding. I guess what had happened was Lyndon Johnson had set aside $20 million to be to be used for public television, but when uh, Nixon w was ready to cut that funding uh, to almost half of what, of what they had put aside, so it was a, a dramatic cut, and even, you know, $20 million was even not a lot at the time for what they really needed. So um, Fred Rogers went to uh, testify uh, to plead the case, and he this this uh, I forget the name. I'm sorry, but the 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 congressman or senator that he speaks with, I think it's stated in here, um, is actually kind of surly to him at the beginning, and slowly he just gets touched. And uh, well, you'll see what happens uh, if you listen to this here. Just just probably one of the most amazing pieces of audio I've heard in quite some time. I, th I hope you get some goosebumps from this. All right, Rogers, you got the floor. <laughs> Senator Pastore, this is a philosophical statement and would take about ten minutes to read, so I'll not do that. Uh, one of the first things that a child learns 
in a healthy family is trust. And I trust what you have said that you will read this. It's very important to me. I care deeply about children. My first children... Will it make you happy if you read it? I'd just like to talk about it, if it's all right. All right. Sir. Okay. My first children's program was on WQED 15 years ago, and its budget was $30. Now, with the help of the Sears Roebuck Foundation and National Educational Television, as well as all of the affiliated stations, each station pays to show our program. It's a unique kind of funding in educational television. With this help, now our program has a budget of $6,000. It may sound like quite a difference, but $6,000 pays for less than two minutes of cartoons. Two minutes of animated, what I sometimes say, bombardment. I'm very much concerned, as I know you are, about what's being delivered to our children in this country. And I've worked in the field of child development for six years now, trying to understand the inner needs of children. We deal with such things as, as the inner drama of childhood. We don't have to bop somebody over the head to make him... To, to make drama on the screen. We deal with such things as getting a haircut or the feelings about brothers and sisters and the kind of anger that arises in simple family situations. And we speak to it constructively. How long a program is it? It's a half hour every day. Most channels schedule it in the, in the noontime as well as in the evening. Uh, WETA here has scheduled it in the late afternoon. Could we get a copy of this so that we can see it? Maybe not today, but I'd like to see the program. I'd like very much for you I'd to like see I'd like to see the program itself, or any one of them, you see. We, we made a hundred programs for EEN, the Eastern Educational Network, and then when the money ran out, People in Boston and Pittsburgh and Chicago all came to the fore and said, we've got to have more of this neighborhood expression of care. And this is what, this is what I give. I give an expression of care every day to each child to help him realize that he is unique. I end the program by saying, you've made this day a special day by just your being you. There's no person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. And I feel that if we in public television can only make it clear that feelings are mentionable and manageable, we will have done a great service for mental health. Uh, I think that it's much more dramatic that two men could be working out their feelings of anger much more dramatic than showing something of gunfire. I'm constantly concerned about what our children are seeing. And for 15 years I have tried in this country and Canada to present what I feel is a meaningful expression of care. 
Do you uh, narrate it? I'm the host, yes. And I do all the puppets, and I write all the music, and I write all the scripts. Well, I'm supposed to be a pretty tough guy, and this is the first time I've had goosebumps for the last two days. <laughs> well, I'm grateful, not only for your goosebumps, but for your interest in, in our kind of communication. Could I tell you the words of one of the songs which I feel is very important? Yes. This has to do with that good feeling of control, which I feel that the children need to know is there. And it starts out, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And that first line came straight from a child. I work with children do doing puppets in, in very personal communication with small groups. What do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad you could bite. When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, 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 any time. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a lady and a boy can be someday a man. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. <clears throat> Looks like you just earned the twenty million dollars. <laughs> wow, that's just just so awesome. Um, you know, I think it was really easy to make fun of Mr. Rogers a lot when you're a kid, but certainly uh not one of the most, but the most positive role model for children. That, that's ever been on television. I mean, it's easy to call him wimpy or silly or make fun of his sweater or shoes, but that guy never did one thing that you would not want your children to emulate. Um, you know, just polite to everybody, really constructive, just, you know, certainly one of the, the great men of our time. And, um, and just, just amazing. I'm, I'm gushing here, but, uh, just, just great, great stuff. Well, my friend Keith and I went to go see a screening of uh, the X-Men, and here's some audio of us driving to the theater, and then uh, our thoughts after the movie. So uh, I'm here in the car with legendary comedian Keith Lowell Jensen. Legendary. Uh, and we are going to see the X-Men three days early. X-Men United, this one's called. Three freaking days early, yeah! Yes, we, we almost were going to see uh, Lindsay Lohan's Just My Luck, but as luck would have it, we didn't have to watch it. Uh, that was a good one, Robert. That was a real good one. So who's your favorite X-Men there, Keith? Um, well, I hate to be so predictable, but uh, it's probably always been a toss-up between Wolverine and uh, any one of the ladies. Yeah, I have to say, I liked Wolverine. I also liked... Uh, um, Cyclops when I was a kid just because I thought the idea of shooting lasers out of your eyes was cool. That is but, he's, nice. but he's pretty pretty dull when, when you get down to it. In the movie especially, I, I don't care for the actor playing him and I don't know, he's kind of, he's pretty girly. 
Yeah, he's pretty emo. Like, you don't understand me. I saw, I saw a preview clip of the movie, and, like, like uh, Wolverine and Cyclops are crossing paths in the mansion. And, uh, like, he's like, we gotta get past this. Gene's dead, Scott. And then he goes, some people don't have healing powers like you, Wolverine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. And then he went, crawling in my skin. <laughs> I so, uh, yeah, so we're, we're gonna, you know, do a review of X-Men United, uh, Flight 93. <laughs> <laughs> they should combine those, that'd be pretty cool. Like oh, X-Men. that would be great. The X-Men are, like, trying to cutting up the terrorists. <laughs> so, uh... Well, what if Wolverine wasn't the terrorist? He would it'd be easy for him to smuggle in his knives. He's got, like, box cutters implanted in his hands. Yeah. They showed new footage of the Pentagon uh, plane hitting it today. Oh, really? Yeah, the, some judicialwatch.org sued to get the footage that was there for the Musawi trial. And, um, but it's really disappointing because it's like, it's one of those security cameras that's like every half second a frame gets shot. Right. So you don't even see the plane. You just see like this blur and then you see an explosion. And there's a lot of people like conspiracy theorists wise that say that, uh, that there was no, uh, plane, you know, that, that part was a hoax, and so they're admitting that that does little to f- dispel the conspiracy theory rumors, so, well, anyway, on that happy note, that was cheerful, yeah, thanks, <laughs> <laughs> we're all gonna die, well, we'll talk to you later, well, uh, we just got out of uh, our going to see the X-Men experience, <laughs> and, um, wow, we're in the parking garage right now. Um, you know, I, I expected to see uh, hot superhero mutant action, and I have to say I was disappointed because, uh, well, we had to see Silent Hill instead. Because Robert can't keep track of what David is. Oh, God, it's so embarrassing. I walked out with my uh, um, pass. To, I said, oh, yeah, I, I'm, like, all flashing my press pass out. Like, oh, yes, uh, I'm here for the press screening to see the X-Men. Keith's like, hey, nobody's in line for the movie. This is, like, crazy. And I'm thinking, like, well, they're just already all in the theater, you know? And he, like, looks at me like, uh, we ain't playing the X-Men tonight. Like, what are you talking about? And he, like, shows my past. That's, that's next week. <laughs> says it right oh, on the back. Fuck. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, you know, we called in a fate. We came out to see the movie, so we decided to check out either Poseidon. Which we should. Or I'm going through the, uh, here, the, uh, I'll let Keith take over here. So, yeah, we could have seen Poseidon or Silent Hill, and we definitely should have gone for Poseidon. Yeah, si- Silent Hill. Yeah. Like three. I didn't get that movie, did No, it's No. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like this movie much, Silent Hill? Hell no, that movie fucking sucks! So even the parking guy hates it. Alright, thanks. <laughs> wow, that's great. We just ha- He just happened to notice we were leaving the movies, and he said, by any chance did you see... Silent Hill, and it's, yeah, and that was great. That was great. Well, yeah, wow, Silent Hill, horror. We could have seen Poseidon or Silent Hill. Oh my God, it was. We should have chose Poseidon. I heard Poseidon was yeah. This was hilarious. It was a good. It was a great comedy film. They had some of the best dialogue ever. Oh yes. Um, I don't know. I mean, basically, the setup of this movie is that. This really fucked up mom... Who's sexy as hell. Who's sexy as hell. Um, has this, like, kid that looks like the kid from The Ring in every other horror film. And she sleepwalks and goes, Silent Hill! 
So this mom's compelled to go to this old coal mining town. But isn't that what you would do? And she ends up evading a cop, busting through a gate, no, no, no. You gotta getting more in an about accident. That cop. Well, 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 this cop was very high. She evades a super fetish yeah. cop. But anyway, yeah, you know she basically endangers her life. In the fetish magazine, that's the cop. Yeah. Well, she ends up endangering the life of her and her kid, and then she wakes up after getting in an accident, and she uh, loses her kid and spends the next two fucking hours looking for her. It was two hours. It's two hours of, like, you seeing the kid run in the corner. <gasps> Is that you? Sharon! Sharon, did you? Sharon! And every once in a while, these alarms go off, and it becomes a video game. Yeah, and then, like, like there'll be, like, all, there'll be, like, 50 ash-covered babies with no legs crawling at her, and then, like, she goes to the door, and then she's like, okay, what's next? <laughs> Instead yeah. of, like, sitting there pissing her pants and clawing her face off in horror. Yeah. But, uh, oh, God. I mean, there's some genuinely scary scenes in it. the sexy cop? There's a sexy cop who wears black leather pants in it, <laughs> and they squeak when she walks. I agree that. Uh, it's really tight, tight, tight cop shirt, like, sexy Yeah, no, exactly. Hair. Yeah, the West Virginia's only cops this, like, dominatrix from Ilsa the She-Devil of the SS here. But, you know, it's, 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 uh, I have to say there is a, you know, the movie's been out a while, so you obviously can't use this as a gauge, but there was maybe five people in the theater, maybe ten tops. And they were laughing just like we were through the whole thing. I mean, just the dialogue was preposterous. The scenes that they were put in were, were, were ridiculous. I mean, there was a couple. There was this guy named Pyramid Head, who people really liked from the video games. And I'll say the scenes he was in didn't disappoint. I mean, if they just made him hunting these these people down, it might be a little bit more uh, exciting. Oh, getting a phone call here. No, it's an alarm. Oh, it's an alarm. Uh, but, uh, wow, yeah, the movie is horrible. We had something clever to say about it when we, oh, yeah, like, I got, like, instant messages from, I think, some podcast listeners that were saying, like, oh, man, you got to see this film. It's so good. It's so good. And then someone else said it's, like, the best video game movie ever. But, you know, that's not, like, you know, when you've got Double Dragon and Super Mario Brothers is the benchmark. That's not, that's like saying, like, <laughs> wow, that's the best corn I've ever eaten from a piece of shit. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, I hope X-Men's better. I think Pac-Man the movie is coming out next month, isn't it? They actually are. There's a company that's optioned Pac-Man the movie. Rad. Um, and I think it's going to star... This movie had just endless, endless scenes of... CGI masturbation. Oh, the walls are melting and floating up into the sky. Oh, the, you know, the, not one dead baby with ashes, but like 20 of them because it's so easy to cut and paste them or something. I mean, that's what it looked like. Oh, yeah, and there's like scenes that, that you could tell they were thinking like, oh, man, this could be so fucking scary, and they come off as just like comedy. Like, she's going through this dark hallway with a flashlight, and there's like 20 nurses oh, with no faces. All sexy. And then they, and then they, like, they twist up at the same time, and they, like, they move in unison, and it looks just like a scene from Michael Jackson's Thriller video. That's you almost expect to hear, like, and they totally move in, like, the dance steps forward, you know, the chorus line stepping Oh, yeah, it makes no sense. And, like, and she's, like, so aware of everything she's supposed to do. Like, she sees this, like, she goes into this bathroom stall, and she sees this dude who's, like, bent over five times and wrapped in barbed wire, and she 
has this urge to pull a note out of his mouth. Just, just she knows it's there, and then she tells the, and it's got like half of something that says like Grand Hotel on it. And then she tells the cop outside, and when she meets up with her again, like, I know my daughter's here. Because yeah, I pulled this piece of paper out of a dead man's mouth. Then they get to the hotel, and they find the daughter's drawing, and it's in the mail slot for room 111. I know she's in 111. She's in room 111. Yeah. And there's, like, scenes where, like, she's looking for her daughter, but then she'll go into some room and just start thumbing through drawers and looking under paper, like, you know, your, your daughter's not in that drawer, dummy. <laughs> you know? Like, they're really having to make a lot of effort to get into the drawer, finding the keys, thumbing through the files. There's a movie called, uh... What was that one with Jodie Foster? Uh, where it, you know, it's where, where Jodie Foster lost her daughter on an Not airplane. Without my daughter, oh, uh, red eye. Uh. Something like that, brown eye. But anyway, uh, you know, it, it, I hated that movie because the whole movie was just Jodie Foster looking under every nook and cranny of the airplane for her daughter. Well, this is just like that on a grander scale with like. Um, you know, women getting their skin ripped off uh, by somebody grabbing their breasts and having it thrown against the church door. Well, that was a good scene. That was a good scene. There was an equally good scene, I thought, where this this uh, chick was getting uh, basically splayed apart with lots of barbed wire. It was barbed wire flying up her crotch and then there's this little girl dancing and spinning around underneath the blood dripping from her crotch like it was a kid dancing in the rain and you know it kind of reminded me of my uh, prom yeah good good memories of your upbringing good times good times well keith we're about ready to to come up to uh, your place uh oak park nice nice area i have to go up to my apartment all alone after that scary mood would you maybe come up with me, Robert? I, I can fix you a little something to drink. Oh, I'll come up with you, all right. Um, so, uh, anyway... I hate to spend the night alone. Yeah, well... You're getting married soon. That's why you took me to a scary movie, Robert. Come on. This is like the equivalent of your bachelor party. Well, um, hey, you can always check out Keith's great stuff at um, myspace.com slash naughtygirl13. Yeah. And, um, ICBINC.com. No. And rockass.net. Rockass.net. That's the website you need to go to to hear more of Keith's comedy stylings. And we're going to put some audio of, of his comedy up on our podcast as well someday. Soon, I hope. Is this where you live? This is it. There's like people parked from your house in trash cans. Yeah, it's trash day. Yep. Well,. I'll, I'll see you later, Keith. Uh, next week, X-Men. Next week, we'll try to see X-Men or Silent Hill again. Maybe that was sequel out by then. Yeah. Remember this. All right. I'll see you later, man. Wow. So, uh, yeah, screwed that up. Didn't get to see the X-Men uh, a week ago like I planned, but I did get to finally see it uh, just uh, a couple days ago. And I- I'll just tell you that it's uh, a lot of fun. Uh, Ian McKellen is great as Magneto. Um, I, I thought all the characters were good. It, it strays from the comic book story a lot. Um, it blows my mind. I was I was reading a, a website, ain'titcoolnews.com, and every one of them is bitching about how it like t- was not true to the comic book versions of the stories and whatnot. And um, I'll just say, if you're familiar with how the comic book story goes with, with some of the events that, that, that happen in this movie, um, there's no way they, they could have even f- put that story into this movie. So 
just just great action. There's some stuff with Magneto that's just or Magneto, if you will, that's uh, just amazing. Some things that he does to cars, the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, less you know about it, the better. But I'll also tell you if you like uh, Rebecca Romagin Stamus, however you say your name, as Mystique. Oh God, you will not be disappointed here. There's a couple scenes with her that are just like a, a fanboy's wet dream. So. You will not be disappointed in that regard. So, yeah, give, give X-Men The Last Stand, not X-Men United, as we said there, uh, a try. I think you, you'll like it an awful lot, and it's a good, great fun. So, we got a couple voicemails that I wanted to play for you here. And as always, you can call the Retro Crush voicemail hotline at 916-231-9480. Uh, it's 916-231-9480. And... Um, Love to hear from you. Anytime, day or night, you can call that number. It's based in Sacramento, California, so whatever long-distance charges you'd normally have to there, it'll work. But um, it just goes straight to voicemail, so you don't have to worry about waking anybody up. Whatever you'd like to call, um, sober, drunk, driving down, driving sober. Please don't drive drunk. Um, anyway, here's our first voicemail uh, about a show, Auto Man. Hey, Robert, what's up? This is Kenny B. calling from the Kansas Wasteland again. Um, love the show. I listen to it on my PSP. I'll represent for the PSP people. Anyway, um, I wanted to see if you knew or remembered anything about a show called Auto Man. Um, not really sure exactly when it ran, but I remember it was very uh, Tron-like. There was a little... I remember he carried around this little ball or something, and, and um, it would, like, transform into this big car or something like that. I think it probably only lasted for maybe a season. But uh, anytime I ask my friends about it or anybody else, nobody seems to know what I'm talking about. So I think maybe you could quit, you know, make sure I'm not just imagining this. I don't know. It was just a dream I had or something. But anyway, love the podcast. Uh, keep it up. And... um Peace. I'm out. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, first of all, um, I'm sorry to hear you listening to the Retro Crush podcast on your PSP. You know, this is a Retro Crush. Retro. You know, part of Retro, don't you understand there? So uh, I recommend using a, an old Game Gear, maybe an Atari 2600 device to listen to this podcast. None of this newfangled stuff there. But Auto Man, yeah, I remember that show. Uh, my buddy Bill really liked it a lot, and he was a big Tron fan, and he liked this show. And I, I thought it kind of sucked. It was a there was a lot of bad science fiction television on at that time, like Misfits of Science. And Auto Man was, uh, yeah, they took the, a shitty movie and decided to make a shitty TV show inspired by it. Very Tron-like indeed. So here's uh, another voicemail. Um, it's got one of the worst Joe Mama jokes I've ever heard. Your mother is so ignorant. She thinks that she may catch the avian flu from a passing motorist who happens to be disgruntled. Your mama's so dumb, she thinks she's going to catch the bird flu from somebody flipping her off. Wow. Your mom was so dumb, she laughed at that joke. Oh, my God. That was just a... Uh, not only was it told badly the first time, but retelling it in uh, for for people that were just... I don't know. It, it, that wasn't a good joke. Try again, buddy. 
Here's a, another voicemail who is asking about my connections to the website xentertainment.com. Hey, Robert, this is Matt from Florida. I really like the show. I'm in the car right now. Sorry about the noise. I was just wondering if you ever have a minute, if you could briefly uh, your association with xentertainment.com in the past and how you kind of uh, control the East Coast, West Coast uh, retro syndicate. So uh, take care of yourself, and uh, thanks for the good podcast. Bye. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I, I used to write uh, for Matt's uh, xentertainment.com website. It's x-entertainment.com for those of you who want to check that out. Um, yeah, it's a great site. Um, you know, Matt and I uh, used to write together for a, a wrestling website. It sounds so funny to talk about now. Back around 96 or 7, I guess. And it was called uh, xwrestling.com, and Matt decided to branch off and make a uh, essentially an 80s pop culture site. And uh, I think I got about 10 or 12 years on Matt there. And often, uh, you know, I, I wanted to write about 50s, 60s, and 70s stuff, and it was always welcome on the site. But I just felt ultimately that it was uh, time to have my own site. So in 2001, I just. Uh, branched off and made my own website retro crush and uh you know i think there's there's room enough for uh for a lot of pop culture websites out there uh x entertainment is a is a labor of love of matt's there and, and it's evident he likes uh, putting that site together and it's a uh, like i said if uh definitely if you if you were uh growing up in the 80s x entertainment's uh just definitely a great site to check out it's a lot of fun a lot of goofy stuff in there so uh, that's about it for the voicemails here today. Um, I wanted to share with you something funny I ran across. Uh, I was reading the somethingawful.com message boards, and somebody made a reference about uh, there's a particular high school, um, and I won't mention the high school, cause I, but there's a high school in Pittsburgh that I guess uh, somebody put a poll together of who the hottest girls in their school were and a lot of people in this school uh, contributed and this guy put a word document together summarizing the top 25 hottest girls in his school with extremely lewd and, and um, wholly inappropriate ways to describe them uh, you know if you're uh, clever enough you might be able to find this on the internet somewhere but there's one of them here just is brutal stuff. I mean, it's some disgruntled guy, I guess, that maybe uh, couldn't get a date with any of these girls here that wrote this stuff, but uh, what, what they did is he, they'd put the girl and rank them, and then show how many points they received, and then he grade, he gave them a titty grade, an ass grade, and a face grade. And um, one of the entries here says, uh, I'll just say Jane for her name. That's not her name, but just to protect it. It says, reason she, she's on the top 25. Well, freshman year, Jane could have been labeled as the number one hot girl coming out of the class of 2008, but after much inside information was revealed, Jane's tits were described as floppy, kickballs in a garbage bag, and big saggy bananas. She's now churned off many with her stupidity and enjoys lighting up a square one every once in a while. Putting these points to the side, Jane managed to make the list due to the fact that she has a very good-looking face and 
add to the invention of push-up bras make her bo- boobs actually look normal. If Jane gets the money to get a boob lift, she can make her run at the top 15 or maybe 10 next year. Well, I guess this list is just full of uh, stuff like that, and the, and the town is in an uproar. There's uh, some parents that are saying that this is equivalent to... Uh, uh, rape and sexual harassment and you know the police are basically saying uh, mean-spirited though it may be uh, it certainly doesn't seem to break any laws it's just uh, somebody writing a lot of mean stuff but uh, um, kudos to good journalism in today's high schools that's nice to see the, the traditions carrying on well, I'd like to close out uh, today's episode with some retro commercials. Uh, the first one is a commercial from uh, oh, early 80s, I believe, uh, for the Commodore VIC-20 computer. And this was back when you could buy some computers that were just a keyboard. The computer was contained in the keyboard, and you'd just plug it into your television. And this was uh, with William Shatner as the spokesperson. Why buy just a video game from Atari or any television? Invest in the wonder computer of the 1980s for under $300. The Commodore VIC-20. Unlike games, it has a real computer keyboard. With the Commodore VIC-20, the whole family can learn computing at home. Plays great games, too. Under $300, the wonder computer of the 1980s, the Commodore VIC-20. Coming soon, Commodore brings you Gorf, the wonder arcade game, and Omega Race in home versions. I love how uh, they make such a big deal about how it's not like Atari or Intellivision because it also does computing, but all they do is talk about what great games it plays at the end there. The Wonder Computer of the 80s. Next up, we have a commercial for Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Uh, Marks made this in uh, the early 60s, I believe, and uh, one of the best toys uh, ever made for kids here. Here you go. And now look what's coming. But you can press it right back on again. It's just part of the action with the world's only boxing robot. Takes two managers to handle the fighters. With these control levers, you keep your fighter in motion to duck punches. Press this plunger, he throws the right. Press the other and pairs the left. Exciting action and fun with the Rock'em Sock'em Robots by Mark. And we're going to wrap up the show today with a commercial for a diet candy from the 70s called AIDS. Uh, it was spelled A-Y-D-S, and uh, shortly after the AIDS epidemic struck, uh, they unfortunately uh, uh, did not sell as much of their candy. But in light of how bad AIDS became, uh, this this whole commercial here sounds uh, pretty funny out of context. So uh, thanks again for listening to the show. Uh hope uh, you didn't mind the hour-long-ish episode today. And uh, let me know what kind of links that you want. I'd I love to hear from you. The way, you can email me at rberry at retrocrush.com. Uh, or go to our message boards or whatever, but always great to hear from you. So uh, um, have a good weekend. Have a good Memorial Day. Uh, enjoy uh, honoring our uh, war dead by barbecuing and drinking a lot. And uh, here is a commercial espousing the, the wondrous dieting virtues of AIDS. I was overweight and embarrassed to go anyplace. AIDS helped me get back into a size 12. The AIDS diet plan helped me get back into a size 6. AIDS helps control your appetite so you lose weight. Yet AIDS lets you taste, chew, and enjoy. And the appetite suppressant in AIDS is not a stimulant. AIDS helped me lose the weight and has nothing in it that could make me nervous. Question, why take diet pills when you can enjoy AIDS? AIDS helps you lose weight safely and effectively. Use only as directed.